0: The kingdom of God. By contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. There is no law against such things. Let us pray. Oh, Lord God, in this preaching moment, I simply ask that you would help me to speak your word. Help them to hear your word. And Lord, help us all to do your word. I pray in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen. Some years ago, I heard a story about a little boy who came home from church one Sunday. When he walked through the door, his dad said, what'd the preacher talk about today? The little boy said, sin. His dad said, well, what'd he say? The little boy said, he's against it. The problem of human sin is widely recognized by both religious and irreligious persons, by both Christians and non-Christians, by both churchgoers and secularists. Indeed, it's difficult to look around the world, around the city, or around our own home without encountering evidence Of human sin. Paul's letter to the Galatians contains a pretty extensive list of sins to avoid, 15 vices to be precise. And this list doesn't look so different from the lists we might make today. Everyone knows sin is a problem. The question pertains to the solution. Unfortunately, the church has often promoted what the late philosopher Dallas Willard called Gospels of Sin Management. Gospels of Sin Management proclaim that Jesus forgives our sins so that we can go to heaven when we die. They focus on God managing our sin problem through forgiveness and atonement and then I identify everlasting life in heaven as the outcome yet while Jesus indeed offers forgiveness of sins and indeed offers everlasting life the gospel encompasses so much more Christ came to bring forgiveness yes so that we can flourish in God here and now. Christ came to bring everlasting life in heaven, yes, and also abundant life on earth, here and now. I have come that they might have life, said Jesus, and have it to the fullest. The gospel is not just about God managing our sin Problem. It's about Christ bringing us the abundant, fulfilling, and flourishing life that God intends for us. This is what Paul describes as he contrasts the sinful works of the flesh with the life-giving fruit of the Spirit. He's already told us that we are justified by faith because of Christ's death on the cross for us. But there is more to the message than the mere management of sin. According to Paul, when we put our faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit, God's unseen, active, and effective presence, works in our lives to produce a harvest of fruit. Paul thus offers a fulsome answer to humanity's sin problem we are justified in God's sight by faith in Christ and forgiveness and atonement and we are empowered for righteous living by God's Holy Spirit Christians are not just against sin we are for godly living Christians are not just Forgiven, We are enabled to bear the fruit of the Spirit. We are conduits of God's own goodness. We are channels of God's own grace. We are a field bursting forth with a harvest of godly virtue. The fruit of the Spirit, says Paul, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's no accident that the first fruit listed is love. Paul has already identified love as the expression of Christian faith, the content of Christian service, and the fulfillment of God's law. Paul spells out the relationship between the spirit and love in Romans 5 5 where he says love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us the Holy Spirit pours the love of God into our hearts so that it overflows to other people Christians love others not merely with our own self-generated affection, not simply with the humanistic striving to be benevolent, but with the supernatural love of God that has been imparted to us so abundantly. Joy is the second fruit of the Spirit. Joy is happiness in God rather than in circumstances. Joy does not depend on experiential satisfaction, but on spiritual connection with God and other people. Joy leavens our social interactions with contagious delight and a sense of spiritual cheerfulness simply in being together. Christians exhibit joy because we enjoy God and we enjoy one another in God. Peace is the third fruit of the spirit, which is both an inward serenity of the soul and an outward harmony in social relationships. Paul probably has in mind the Hebrew concept of shalom, a type of peace characterized by justice and righteousness in society. A type of peace including both the absence of conflict and the presence of love. A type of peace characterized by overall comprehensive well-being in God. Christians participate in bearing the very peace of God both personally and communally. This triad of love, joy, And peace evokes Jesus' own teaching in John 14 through 15, where he gives his disciples his love, his joy, and his peace. The fruit of the Spirit, therefore, is not just a formulation of Paul's thought, but also a reflection of Christ's character. Indeed, we are hard-pressed to find a better description of Christian character traits anywhere in the entire Bible, which is one reason why my wife Dana and I have emphasized to our daughters the nine fruits of the Spirit even more than we have emphasized the ten commandments. A fourth fruit of the Spirit is patience, which can also be translated long-suffering. It signals the quality of being slow to anger rather than short-fused. Other fruits of the Spirit include kindness, the quality of goodwill toward others, generosity, the quality of a good and giving disposition, faithfulness, the quality of being loyal, trustworthy, and dependable, and gentleness quality of humble meekness. There are other fruits of the Spirit too. The list in Galatians is representative, not exhaustive. Uh, We might add humility, compassion, justice, righteousness, and more. But the last fruit Paul lists here is self-control. Being last, it receives emphasis. Ancient philosophers often touted self-control as a central human virtue. Yet Paul signals, rather ironically, that self-control is not an achievement of the self, but a product of the spirit. The fruit of self-control stands in stark contrast to the licentiousness carousing, drunkenness, and anger previously mentioned as works of the flesh. The way love and self-control flank the other fruits of the Spirit reminds me of bookends on a bookshelf. I learned a lot about bookends on bookshelves when I worked for a while at the Wake Forest University Library. Bookends are placed on either side of a row of books in order to keep all the books between them in order. If one of the bookends is removed, the whole row of books could collapse and perhaps even fall off the shelf and onto the floor. But if both bookends are solidly in place, the books in between will hold together securely. Standing tall in proper order and presentation. This is how love and self-control function as Christian virtues. If we do not have love or self-control, all the other qualities will be out of order. Love fuels peace toward others, kindness toward others, and generosity toward others others. Self-control keeps us patient in our interactions, faithful in our commitments and gentle in a contentious world. We need love and self-control as bookends for our behavior because they hold all the other fruits of the Spirit together. As the fruit of the Spirit flourishes in us, We flourish in God. It's important to recognize that the Spirit sprouts in us the very character traits of God. God is love, says 1 John 4. God is joyful over us, says Zephaniah 3. God is a God of peace, says Philippians 4. God is patient says Romans 9. God is kind, says Romans 2. God is faithful, says 1 Corinthians 1. As Bible scholar Ann Jervis notes, most of these aspects of the fruit of the Spirit are characteristics Paul elsewhere attributes to God. The image of fruit, therefore, reminds us that we do not flourish in ourselves, but in the Spirit of God. The reason Paul distinguishes between works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit is because love, joy, and peace are not our works, but rather fruits that the Spirit grows in us. And through us. We cannot generate Christian joy, Christian generosity, or Christian self-control all by ourselves, nor can we self-produce Christian love, Christian peace, or Christian patience. This would be as silly as holding out our hand and expecting a grapevine to blossom from it. Although we cannot produce spiritual fruit by ourselves, we can make ourselves more conducive for the Spirit's harvest. We can prepare the field of our life for the Spirit's good work. We can clear out the weeds of our lives by confessing our sin and seeking forgiveness. We can remove the stones of selfishness and self-reliance to clear the area for growth. We can uproot the habits and activities that keep us from fully connecting with God. We can soften the ground of our hearts through prayer. We can fertilize the soil of our souls through reading scripture. We can yield to the spirit and cooperate with the Spirit to seek the best possible harvest so that our sin is not just being managed, but being overgrown with godly virtues. Many Christians have been wondering how to be faithful witnesses to Christ amid the ongoing decline in church attendance in Europe and the United States. What if we sought to bear the fruit of the Spirit? Many Christians have been wondering how to personally respond to the vile attacks and horrific warring in the Middle East. What if we sought to bear the fruit of the Spirit? Many Christians have been wondering How to set a good example for our kids and grandkids in today's world. What if we sought to bear the fruit of the Spirit? Many Christians have been desiring to grow in the faith to mature spiritually. What if we sought to bear the fruit of the Spirit? Many Christians have been seeking to exhibit uh, something authentically Christian, not some Christian show or spiritual veneer, but something real. What if we sought to bear the fruit of the Spirit? Dana and I are not much for gardening as much as we love the idea of having a garden, and as much as we love fresh, locally grown produce, neither one of us has ever been very successful at growing much of anything. Part of the problem is, we don't know what we're doing. Fifteen years ago, we thought the backyard of our new home was perfect for a garden. We considered trying to till the land and grow some vegetables but the locals said the ground was beset with rocks and quite tricky for gardening. Later we met a young man named Hayden when he and his family began attending our church. Hayden was 13 or 14 years old and he was a gardening enthusiast. Hayden tended a massive garden at his family's home multiple gardens in fact and he loved being outdoors he loved having his hands in the dirt helping things to grow so when Hayden offered to help us get a garden started in our backyard we gladly took him up on it he came to our house and he cleared out the weeds in this one area and removed the stones from it as well He tilled the ground and he carefully planted seeds. He came by regularly to check on everything to make sure it was watered sufficiently and to pull up any weeds that might appear there. And before too long, our backyard was blooming with the most beautiful harvest we had ever seen. There were fresh tomatoes and yellow squash. There were heads of lettuce and heads of cabbage. The garden was blossoming, thriving, flourishing, bearing fruit. It was still the ground we lived on, but it was somebody else's work. It was still the property where we resided, but it was somebody else's produce it was still the land where we walked and talked and played with our kids but it was somebody else's harvest and it all happened because we yielded the ground to somebody who knew what they were doing we yielded the ground to someone who knew how to bring forth fruit from it and likewise friends the best thing we can possibly do with our life is to hand it over by faith to someone who knows what they're doing. The best thing we can do is yield the ground of our existence to someone who can bring forth a far greater harvest than we could ever manufacture with our own work. God knows how to make love blossom because God is love. God knows how to make joy flower because God is joyful over us. God knows how to make peace bloom because God is a God of peace. God knows how to make patience proliferate because God is slow to anger. God knows how to make kindness grow because God is kind. God knows how to make generosity grow because God is abundantly generous. God knows how to make faithfulness grow because God is always and ever faithful. The key is to stop trying to produce what we want and to let the Spirit produce What God wants. The key is to stop seeking our own satisfaction and to start seeking spiritual production. The key is to understand that the flourishing life cannot be self-generated precisely because it is God-given. If we will let the Spirit of God go to work in the field of our life, if we will yield the ground of our existence to the Spirit of our God and cooperate with the Spirit daily, oh, we'll look around after a while and see a harvest like we've never seen before. Amen. If you've never put your faith in Christ and received the Holy Spirit Won't you come forward today and put your faith in God? If you would like to be baptized or if you would like to join the Second Baptist Church of Richmond, we would be so glad to have you. Won't you come forward today? Or if you just want to stand and sing the final hymn of the service or pray about what type of fruit God is calling you to bear and what type of fruit God is wanting to grow through you, let's all respond now as the Holy Spirit leads.